Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> good morning to you all. Uh, just a couple of things. How many know that next week we have the water baptism? <clears throat> so I want to encourage you, come on out for that. We will meet here, and then uh, after the service, we'll go out to Lake Brophy, and I guess there's maps or whatever. We have information that uh, pretty much everybody, does everyone know where Lake Brophy is? I think you could Google that, and there's a nice pavilion out there, and and so um, I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. I think we have close to a dozen that are signed up, and some last minute make a choice, and that's okay. You just need to be a believer, and, and so we just welcome you and to be a part of that. And uh, uh, come prepared and bring, uh, bring a towel. So amen. Um, so yeah, with that, uh, let's just take a moment and pray, and, and as I begin to share the word of God. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you. Lord, in this divine moment, Lord, you have a word for us. Only you are God and able to speak to each and every need and give to each person, Lord, what they are to hear from you today. That's a tall order. And Lord, I recognize that in and of myself, I have nothing good to say, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me and give to your people what they need here today to strengthen them, to challenge them, to encourage them, to call some of them back to you and, and to catapult them further in your kingdom purposes. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, <clears throat> amen, amen. We'll see how far we can get here this morning, but this is the second week in our series. We started and uh, I'll have a message next week for water baptism, but just continue with this series. And I've subtitled this Survival of the Fittest, and I had a couple of verses, and I'm going to temper myself because I think I about lost my voice last week. I was pretty excited. Uh, so I'm going to be a little bit uh, subdued. Is that okay? Here, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. People are shaking their heads. No. Steve said, no, don't. Second <laughs> Timothy 2.12, he says, if we don't give up, someone shall rule. We will rule with him. If we deny that we know him, he will deny that. He knows us. That word, if we don't give up, actually in the Greek, endure, it means to suffer, but it means patiently endure pain. Not about you, but how many have had to patiently endure some pain? I was reading through the list when uh, Paul was laying out his uh, credentials in, in, in the gospel, and, and he said, uh, you know, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked. How many remember the story? And, and one part I've never really saw before and I just underlined this, and he said, in sufferings and hardship, and he said, in pain, painfulness. And pain is uh, something that we all are faced with, and a lot of times some of the pain doesn't make sense. It's senseless. It's like, I don't get this. And, but I looked that up. It's uh, hupa mio is the, is the Greek word, and it means patiently endure pain. Uh, it actually means uh, remaining under the load kind of remaining under the load. I know like in powerlifting, when I did that for a few years, there's a squat, there's a bench, and there's a deadlift. In each of those lifts, you have to remain under the load. I mean, at least the deadlift you lift, but for if you're squatting, it's on your back. And that's a heavy load that you go down with, but that, that's actually the picture. Uh, and, and actually one translation says, I stand my ground. Mm. How many know that God wants us to stand our ground? In a fluid world where, uh, you know, we see uh, where the enemy wants us 
to give up, to not endure, to not endure. Uh, <clears throat> you know, someone once said there, uh, there are things, the things that hurt us instruct us. I think there's some truth to that. Amen. And uh, Rick Joyner said this, that if our life is always easy, it's probably because we are called to a lesser purpose. I think I'm speaking to people here that have a high purpose. Because we all go through difficulty and we go all through challenges. And so he says this is if we will rule, actually that uh, means we will share in his kingship. And actually means this, you'll have superpower someday. You know, we like the superheroes, the Marvel and the comics and all, they all, they have superpowers, and we're kind of drawn to that. Some can fly, and, you know, some have resistance powers, some can lift things, and I was like, well, you know, that's kind of strange, but in the kingdom of God, I'm talking about, there's going to be superpowers. I would imagine we'd be able to go high speed. I mean, I would imagine there's got to be something. We say, superpower, what? What is that? I don't really know exactly, but I can just imagine. But what? That is for those who don't give up. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Who endure, who rule? You shall rule with him. Um, you know, here's the thing about pain. We need to interpret our pain through the lens of God's purpose in our life. Many of us have heard of Joyce Meyer and that the tremendous pain she went through for many years as a, as a teenager and abuse in that abuseful situation in her family. And, but how she turned that pain and she, she used that pain that what the enemy meant for evil, God turned around and she brought freedom to millions of people. Millions of people. And so I'm not saying that God orchestrates that at all, but we know the enemy, he roars about a, a lion and to seek whom he may de devour. But uh, in the midst of it, when these things happen, we need to trust the Lord. Another verse in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter uh, 7, he says, Then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be given to the believers of the Most High. That's you and I. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. And so, so there is a ruling and a reigning if we remain faithful. What does that tell me? That tells me that tomorrow when you feel like, oh, I got to face the, uh, face the world, or as Jack shared earlier about, we get puked on. There is a purpose for your life. That's to me is so freeing to know that there is a purpose, and, and part of the major purpose of your life is a local church. Plugging into the, yeah, you said, well, you're a pastor, you're biased. Yeah, it might be, but I've always, no matter where we move, my wife and I, we always found a local church that we could plug into. And when I look back at my life, and I look and I say, the, the most defining moments of my life have been in the local church. Change, change our life helped our marriage, helped us move on, helped us to grow in the things of God, helped us to discover our gifts. Am I speaking to anyone this morning? And so when you plug in and you understand God's training ground is really the local church. He, he, you're just not out there. And see, and here's the sad thing. It's very sad. Even for believers, when they cut themselves off, whether it's an offense or whatever, sadly things happen, and they get disillusioned, and they, 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 it's, it's like when they disconnect from the fellowship. I'm not saying they're not a believer, that God doesn't love them, but it's almost like you kind of do laps in the wilderness. And life just ticks by. And, you know, you could call, how many know you could call some people, and 
you've been talking to them for 15 years. And when you talk to them and say, hey, how's it going? Same old, same old. Come on, am I speaking to anybody? Nothing is changed. Hey, have you gone on a missions trip? Or hey, hey, what about, are you involved in a project? Or what is your church? Same old, same old. Decades go by. Am I speaking to anybody? God has not called you to that. And so, and so people, I, I really believe, even here at Church for the Harvest, that my prayer has always been that those who plug into this church discover their destinies. That they can look back when in heaven and look back and say, you know what, because of tying into that, and there are many wonderful local bodies, local church bodies that, that are preaching and teaching. So please hear me. I'm just talking about here today uh, as a pastor in the local church. So this is globally. This is, you know, throughout the region in the United States. There are many, many local churches. They are God's training ground. And so I want to talk a little bit about survival of the fittest and how intense that training can be to not dissuade you, to not uh, uh, cause you to give up. And so this verse here, I believe, is describing the future glorious state of the believers, of the believers. So last week we touched on uh, a little bit of the importance of for us to be discerning. I used some of my gold, little, little, someone asked me, they said, well, where's the gold? It was a pretty big letdown. I actually had a little vial in my pocket, forgot to pull it out, but you probably need a microscope to see but we did get find some gold. <laughs> it was, I mean, there was a few flakes, but I've got some gold. Uh, and we just talked about discernment between uh, fool's gold and how there's a lot of fool's gold out there, and we have to be discerning between uh, right and wrong. There's a quote uh, someone once said, discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it's telling the difference between right and almost right. Okay? Almost right. Here's the thing. Every Christian needs to be discerning. And I said this, and I, it bears repeating. When you look at discernment in the Bible, it's always connected to spiritual maturity. And God wants us to be mature spiritually, to grow up. I did a series, I think, for 12 weeks on growing up spiritually, growing up spiritually. And so if you want to be a discerning Christian, you need to be a mature Christian. You need to be growing in your faith. Can I get an Amen. That's understanding the Bible, not memorizing the whole Bible. That's great. If you could do that, you have the capacity, God bless you. And I know there are, there are kids, there are people that, that can. And, but one growing in the knowledge of the Lord, spiritual discernment really is the way how God allows us to see the world. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're now able, when we have his spirit within us, able to discern, understand how the world works. We see things from heaven's perspective in our life that helps us day in and day out. And so that's really what discernment is, using the tools God has given us to see things his way. Did you hear that? To see things his way so we can live our lives that honor God. And that's what we want. So that's why I love God's spiritual house. Yes, I'm a pastor, but even before I was a pastor, I knew that there was a vital importance that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Could you say amen? That's the local church. And that's, I really believe, God's means of training people in righteousness. Now, that does not mean that you can't go home and have your Bible study and, you know, read the word and grow. That, that's all vital. But there is a corporate grace and anointing in each local house that God is bringing people along. I believe that. And I could call it God's growth track is the local church for your life. It really is. And there's a process that he has of preparation. Watch this. 
for each and every one of us to help develop us spiritually and where we begin to equip others, we are equipped and grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the texts we've been using uh, and focused on one word last week is Ephesians 6.12. The Bible says, for we wrestle. And that word in the Greek is uh, uh, pele. Um, and it's, it, the Bible says it's, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against. Somebody shout against. Four times Paul uses this word, and it's an interesting word in the Greek. It's the word pros, and uh, the number is 4314 for those of you who care to know about the Greek, but it carries, watch this, a meaning of face-to-face conflict. Up front, right in your face. So Paul is saying, we're not fighting people. Did you hear that? There's a spiritual battle that's going on that how the enemy can use situations and use people, and it looks like we're fighting that person, but what's really behind that is the enemy. The enemy. And he goes, well, that, that person, you know, they're getting on my nerves or this or that. A lot, a lot of times the enemy is involved in, in situations, and some it's just human nature with people. But he says this word prose carries the meaning of close, upfront, intimate contact with somebody. There's a face-to-face confrontation, he says it four times. So even though we're not wrestling physically people, we are in a battle. You are in a battle. And we need to wake up to the fact that we are in a battle, that the enemy does not sleep. He's constantly there to kill, steal, and destroy your life in all fashion, your marriage, everything. Take you out, destroy constantly. Every, every day you wake up, he's there. How can I destroy your life? I know that sounds grim, but it's the facts. Paul says, when he writes all of these five chapters in Ephesians, and he gets to this amountable point, now, if you've heard anything I've said, listen to this, for we wrestle not. And he brings in this spiritual warfare. And that's why this series, Training for Reigning, I want to talk about. Um, we kind of ended off last week of this word wrestle, pele, and it's actually where the Greeks use the word for the local gym. So the local church at that time in Ephesus knew exactly what it's talking about because he uses this word in the Greek. They said, oh, we understand he's talking about. He's talking about the local gym and what happens there in the training in that local gym. So Paul is, I believe, painting a picture of our struggle with demonic forces. It's what they call the palastra. Uh, uh, they said in Ukraine, I use this, they would use it, palastra. And it actually means a struggle, a fight, a conflict. Um, it actually means in the Greek, it means to sway, to vibrate. When two uh, athletes would come together in the ring, and it was this face-to-face conflict where one of them would try to throw the other one and defeat them. And, and so I had to, uh, maybe I could just pull this up. Yeah, I still have this. That The Palastra was a house of combat sports. It's uh, one of these pictures of Rome, one of the Greek, uh, the, kind of the local gyms. And there was rooms in the back that each was trained. In each room, there was a process. Once you kind of graduated from one, one room, you went to the next room. Before you got into the ring, so was this teaching, as this truth about the vitalness of being trained, equipped for the fight. Because why? We're going to rule and reign with him someday. Some of the things we go through, and maybe many of them, I could say, makes no sense now, but it'll make sense in 10,000 years. Did you hear that? 
in a, in a million years from now, in eternity, you go, I can remember I was going through something and I struggled in this and we've got the victory. And I don't know what that ruling and reigning is going to be like, but it's going to be glorious and we're going to be able to overcome. So this, there's a training ground. The earth, if I could say it this way, is our training ground in a way. It's our training ground. So, so that was a huge building, the Palastra, and looked like a palace. And, and once again, there were different rooms for training. And there was a cold bath that they would have to get in. The Bible talks about the washing of the water of the Word of God. How many know each of us, we need the Word of God to wash us and to cleanse us? So there needs to be a constant infilling in your life of the Word of God. Uh, another room that was in there, there was a, uh, uh, an oil store room that the trainer, he had purchased that oil from his own sacrifice and victories that he has won. And so he would take the oil that he had and he would apply that that to the athlete's life. And, and it's, it's like a picture, the trainer of the palastra uh, is like a picture of the local pastor as we begins to share the word of God and he gives out and that oil flows out over our life. And uh, there was a, a furnace room. There was a room that had a hot oil bath. And so once they went through the washing and, and then they were anointed with oil, they were dipped in this bath and then they were rubbed in and they were massaged, these athletes. How many still with me say amen? And so that's what they do. And they, how many of you have had a deep tissue massage and, and you're in pain? Ah, it hurts. Sometimes the preaching and the teaching of the word is painful. I know it is. <laughs> and what is that? It's that pressing in. What? It's preparation for the ring. It's preparation for the battle to be able to say no in the time of temptation. Can I get an amen? And so there was this... And so Paul is liking our spiritual training to this training that the Greeks use in the Palastra, uh, uh training gym. And, and once again, the, there was a prerequisite to moving into the next room before you got into the ring to fight. Now, let me just quickly, I'm going to just touch on this just by way of history because I want to get it to a point here and then, and then we'll pray. And, but there were three types of athletes that were in the, that, that kind of worked out. There was the boxers. Now, the boxers weren't like our boxes today. These guys were extremely violent, and they were, they were permitted to box without helmets. Um, <clears throat> they were brutal. They were barbaric. Sometimes they wear gloves that were ribbed with steel, or maybe they had spiked nails. So, you know, if you got hit with that, that was painful. I mean, this whole thing about Mike Tyson biting off the ear of Evander Holyfield, that's nothing. These guys, were, these guys were ferocious. One commentator says it's about history. At times, the steel wrapped around their gloves was serrated like a hunting knife in order to make deep gashes of the skin in the opponent. Sometimes they hit their opponent so hard with their thumb extended toward the eye that they would knock out an eye out of its socket. I mean, it was absolutely horrible the way these guys tackled each other in the ring. Now, Paul is painting a picture of our battle against the enemy. All right, now we'll get to it. We know that we have overcome. Jesus defeated the enemy. We recognize that. But Paul is saying, you need to arm yourself and understand what awaits here, how the enemy is out there to kill, steal, and destroy. And so another thing I thought this was interesting is that there are no rules. Well, I guess one rule was you couldn't clench your opponent's fist. That was the only rule. There were no rounds. Nobody dinged a bell like in boxing today. The fight just went on and on and on until they too surrendered or someone died in the ring. 
And that tells me about the importance of perseverance in our faith. Are you with me? How we are to persevere. We are to press in when things are challenging and very difficult. Um, and I think about it in spiritual warfare. How many know that we have the name of Jesus? And the name of Jesus is powerful. Well, watch this, though. Now, please hear me. And some of you, you, I'll try to develop this a little bit. But just because you just use the name of Jesus one time doesn't mean the enemy is going to flee. He resists. He resisted Jesus. When Jesus came across, and that's not to diminish the name. We're talking about the Son of God. When he went across and there was the legion, and uh, he was, the Bible was t- talking about how he was commanding those demons to go. They're arguing with him while this is going on. Well, please don't send us into dry places. You know, maybe send us, uh, you know, leave, we don't want to leave our country. I mean, they just didn't leave right away. And while they're arguing in a sense with him, and Jesus says, go, and they go in the pigs. And the pigs had enough sense to jump off the cliff and drown themselves. And so my point is this, that there is a pressing uh, having a made-up mind. And when we use the name, he must submit to the name, but you need to understand that there is a battle that takes place. He does not want to give up. Te- is this too much for you all? He does not want to give up territory. He wants to stay. And that why were the demons wanting to go into pigs? Because they'd rather inhabit an animal than roam around without having a human body. How many of those evil spirits are real? We're seeing this in Hollywood now and theater. I mean, it's, it's all coming out. It's not even like hidden anymore. Exorcisms and all this stuff. It's like the enemy is real, but we serve a victorious God. Can you say amen? Um, an inscription from the first century said this of boxers, a boxer's victory is obtained through blood. It was a very violent sport. And the next, there was wrestlers. Um, they often wrestled to the, to the death and they would try to break the back or whatever from behind, and, and they would try to strangle uh, their opponent and knock out uh, eyes. It was a very extreme, violent sport. And then the third uh, group were they called the pancreatists, and it was derived from two Greek words, pan meaning all, and kratos means powerful. So putting them together, it describes someone that is Massive amounts of power, power over all, power than anyone else. In other words, these were the big boys. These were over like the 240 weight. These were the guys that were really, really big. You know, we got wrestlers today, almost a Nigerian. He's seven foot three, weighs 400 pounds. Uh, we know Brock Lesnar, 6'3, 277. I mean, these were the big boys. These are the ones that they were not going to give up. And they were out there to prove they could not be beaten. And they would do whatever they could do if they had to break legs, fingers, and uh, anything you, horrible you can imagine. You say, why are you talking about this, Pastor Mike? Because Paul is trying to relate to us our battle against the enemy. And many Christians, when they face opposition, or they say, in Jesus' name, leave, and it doesn't happen, they just wonder, what's going on? Am I speaking to anybody? And we, it's not talking about us and our own flesh trying to overcome but there are many ways, reasons why the enemy, he may have ground in our life. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Where he's like, I'm not leaving. You know, you, you want me here. Am I speaking here this morning, you know? And so he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to leave. And so there was no part of the body that was off limits because there was no rules. And an early inscription says this about these guys. If you should hear that your son has died in the ring, you better believe it. 
But if you should hear that he has been defeated and retired, do not believe it. Why? Because more died in this sport than surrendered or were defeated. So what am I trying to say? My point here this morning is this. The point is this, that the Scripture says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against spiritual forces. Stand with me if you would, please. Spiritual forces. Here's the point. Paul, I believe, is using this illustration. Now watch this. He's using this illustration to describe your conflict, my conflict. Your conflict in your relationships, at work, between family, people in general, life in general. Our conflict with unseen demonic powers that actually have been marshaled against us for our destruction. If we allow the enemy to take control and to run our life, we will, ruin, we will allow him to ruin our life. And people let him in. Come on, am I speaking to anybody? We let him in for many reasons. We let him in. You know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Did you hear that? That's his greatest trick. I, he's not there. It's, it's got to be mental issues. It's got to be this. People are demonized when they're doing things on the street and open. These, these things are works of demons. And we're seeing more and more of that now. And so we need to be aware spiritually, having done all, stand and understand that's the work of the enemy. That person may be oppressed spiritually. God loves them, but that is the work of demons. And so Satan's demons will do anything he can to take you out of God's purposes for your life. Now, listen, my Bible says that God is the God of second chances. Amen? He's God of third chances. I mean, he's the God of fortunes. Fifth, sixth. He, he's a God that is there to restore the brokenness in your life. Can I get an amen? That is the God we serve. But see, where the enemy wants to get us into a place, I didn't think I'd go down this pathway about talking about demons so much this morning, but I just feel stirred in it. The enemy wants us to get into a place where we are so defeated, we are so guilt ridden, we are incapacitated to do anything for the kingdom. That's what he wants to get you at. So much condemnation. So much brokenness over your life. See, he plays for keeps. He loves the innocent life to destroy it. So we have to be awakened and aware of his devices. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we're not ignorant of his designs. One translation says devices. And if Satan cannot take you out or disqualify you, maybe I could say it that way better, from some direct sin or whatever, and we'll get into this, Lord willing, after baptism and the week after, he will use the Word of God against you. Do you know the enemy knows the Word better than you and I do? He did it to Jesus. He used the Word of God. He quoted the Word against Jesus, the Son of God. Why? And we'll get into that, Lord willing, here in the next few weeks. But how do we guard ourselves against spiritual deception? We have to develop our sensitivity to the things of the Spirit. And we have to understand the Word of God. We've got to be aware of Satan's strategies. And I thought, what is one of the strategies? How does he get in and get a root in our life? Well, one of the ways, I looked up that word devices. And actually, and I'm almost done here, but it means to take advantage. Now watch this. It's a combination. 
It actually means this. Watch this. That word divisive means more to have. Sounds like our culture today. More to have. So how does that, what, is, what do you mean divide? More to have. And if you look it up, it means a desire to have more, more, more. Come on, somebody. More, more. That's our culture today. That's how he comes in. That is a device of the enemy. I want more. I want more. I want more. And I thought, you know, even though it was in the Old Testament, prophesied about Judas, the son of perdition, and all of that. But, but I thought, when did Satan come in? It says that Satan entered into Judas's heart. Remember, that he dipped his bread, and it was just before the crucifixion. But it's like, how was it? What, did the enemy just at that moment just, oh, possess him? No, 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 no. I think it goes back. Watch this. I, I was reading this. I thought, <clears throat> when the woman came in, and she was weeping, and she had her spikenard, and, 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 and we know Judas kept the bag, right? The Bible says he had the money. He was the treasurer. He kept the bag. And Judas watched this whole scene take place and she broke this alabaster box. The perfume went out. It's probably a whole year's worth of salary. She anointed Jesus for his burial. And what does he do? What does Judas do? He complains to Jesus that thing could have been sold, should have been given to the poor, pious one. And what does Jesus say to him? Leave that woman alone. That, I think, was where a spirit of offense came into Judas. Judas, because Jesus corrected him, offense came in. And then from that moment on, he began to entertain the Pharisees and the Sadducees. More, a desire to have more and more and more. Every head bowed, please. We are not ignorant. We are not outwitted by Satan's devices. Satan wants to lodge himself through an offense, through something in our soul. I don't know what that may have been in your life or is in your life. Or maybe you're entertaining things and in between husband and wife. He's this, she's this. I don't know. Maybe I could, whatever. He's there to bring division. It's a device. You know what? The grass would be greener on the other side if this happened, if that happened. You know what? What is that? That is that word right there. It's a device. More. I want more. I want more. And just Jesus is saying, no, you need more of me. You need more of me. Not more of what the world has to offer. You're here this morning as a pastor. I am not right with the Lord. I am, I am, I am away from God. I just want to get connected back in. What do I need to do? What is that step I need to take? It's not joining a church, and, which is important, or having your name on a membership role. No, 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 no. It's having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Being in right relationship, repenting and taking that step of faith and receiving that gift of salvation that is free to all. I said that is free to all. You're here this morning. You said, Pastor, I want that. With every head bowed, I would like to ask us to pray corporately. But if you and you feel this and you sense this tugging of the Spirit of God, for you to give your life and start afresh and anew to begin again, I want you to pray this prayer and pray it with all your heart. Say this to me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I recognize you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I need you in my life. Thank you for saving me. I receive you in my life. 
Wash me. Cleanse me. Save me. I give you my life today. Now take it. In Jesus' name. Amen.